What's up, everybody? This is Jeffrey Lofton, otherwise known as Who Is That Again? And I want to welcome you to another episode of the Broke Millennial Podcast. Let's go. Alright, so before we get into today's content, I want to discuss something that I've become increasingly aware of over the last year or so, and that's echo chambers. And echo chambers is a term primarily used in media to describe beliefs that are repeated, thus deeply imprinted and reinforced in a closed system. In other words, I've blocked or rejected anything that may question or challenge a particular belief or belief system. So I'll start with kind of a lighthearted example. It was a great debate among UGA fans about our quarterback position last year. JT Daniels was a five-star hotshot QB that transferred from USC. Stetson Bennett was a former walk-on from South Georgia and lifelong UGA fan. JT Daniels gets hurt after the opener against Clemson. Stetson Bennett starts the next game to the chagrin of a segment of the UGA fan base. What does that do? Has one of the most prolific games we've seen in Sanford Stadium. To the point where UGA was one and done every time the offense took the field. Because we were scoring that fast. JT Daniels starts the next two games and then gets hurt again. Stetson leads UGA through the meat of the schedule and never relinquishes starting duties for the rest of the season. UGA was winning every game convincingly, but to a very vocal minority, Stetson, while efficient enough to lead to win after win, was still seen as the inferior quarterback that needed to give way to the former five-star. It seemed like every fan base outside of UGA could see that UGA could win with Stetson but UGA fans convinced themselves that they couldn't. And how'd that turn out? All I'll say is this, 33-18, go dogs. After all the message board think pieces and Twitter consternation, reality was that UGA could and did win with Stetson. Thus the echo chamber effect. Reality versus what you've convinced yourself to believe by shutting out other opinions and allowing beliefs that may be rooted in reality or are rooted in past reality to be reinforced unquestioned and unchallenged. Religion and spirituality is a space where we've all traditionally fallen into this trap. And today, I hope we can get some good practice in breaking that cycle. I've mentioned it before. I'm churchy churchy. I was born on a Wednesday night. And if we could have been in Bible study, there's no doubt in my mind we would have been right there. I had reinforced belief systems that had to be challenged. Not necessarily challenged to the point of dismantling or changing them completely. But they've got to be challenged in order to be strengthened. So, as you listen to today's podcast, give yourself the grace to feel every emotion and give yourself the time and the space 
to assess those beliefs. Today's interview is with one of my closest friends, Michael Fry. He has a beautiful family and lives and works in Athens, Georgia, home of your national championship, Georgia Bulldogs. Enjoy. Well, what's up, everybody? My name is Jeffrey Lofton, otherwise known as Who's That Again? And I have one of my greatest best friends here in the person of Michael Right, Mike, how you doing? I'm great, Jeffrey. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me on here. Man, absolutely. We just were kind of doing a little bit of an intro um, for what uh, we we're going to talk about. And man, we've got a conversation that is going to be hopefully transformational uh, for you. Um, so first of all, Mike, go ahead, um, just introduce yourself and tell us what you got going on and we're going to dive right in. Sure. Well, uh, let's see, as pertain to this conversation that we're about to have, I'll, I'll give you that context. I, I grew up in the church. I had great parents. They, they tried their very best and I don't think they, uh, did anything that steered me on a, on a terrible course in my life. And I thank them for that. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, I grew up, um, I guess you could say then loyal to the Christian faith because of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking back on it, I did not have um, what I would call maybe as a Southern Baptist would call it a salvation experience mm. where um, I was uh, churchy, um, maybe not an authentic follower of Jesus. Mm. And those are two different things. Yeah. So um, I, I think my story gets very interesting in college, where college is where I'm uh, introduced to new ideas, challenging ideas. And I've got to figure out an answer uh, to the uh, either objections or questions yep. that are now being asked of me, or look at this, that I'm now asking of myself or other people. <laughs> So I've got to figure out answers for them. And so I got really interested in apologetics and Mm -hmm. uh, finding out uh, whether it be history or science or uh, different religions, whatever. I just became very interested in apologetics. Well, that was sort of like um, kind of fast food for the soul. Like it it satisfies you uh, in an immediate sense, you know, like whenever my wife says something like, you know, kind of hungry. My suggestion is immediately crystal. <laughs> I love crystal. Uh-huh. She, she hates crystal. <laughs> and, um, and she reminds me though, like if I do eat crystal, there's an immediate satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I love crystal, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm going to tell you what, there's an hour and a half later mm-hmm. and that immediate satisfaction turns to weeping and gnashing the teeth. <laughs> and I have to find a quiet room in the house to myself. So this sort of, you know, uh, I'm not knocking apologetics. I think it's necessary. I think it's great. And especially the the generations coming after us, they crave it. Um, But what I really needed was I needed to um, figure out the truth of what I believed. Mm. And I came to a a very real realization is in the shower, actually, shortly after I um, 
graduated from college, and I just had this um, crazy experience in mm-hmm. a shower, in a shower. Um, <laughs> thinking about God. And, um, mm-hmm. um, and it was at that point that then, again, like uh, the evangelical saying of, of being saved, there was like wow. one point in your life, they go, oh, that's when it happened. Well, yeah, it was actually in the shower. <laughs> wow. Um, but it, yeah, it was nuts. And uh, so it was like, uh, yeah, being baptized by the shower going over my head, you know, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> Uh, that's a, for a different story. Anyway, my journey was basically, um, I grew up churchy and then, uh, through, um, being pressed into the crucible that I, um, I found truth. Mm. And from that truth in my life kind of started anew. Mm. So, um, I was called into the ministry a few years ago, uh, resisted it for a long time. I didn't think that I was, um, I know it's a lousy, dumb excuse to say, oh, I didn't feel worthy, but really, I just was like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not cut out for uh, ministry. I'm not, I'm not pastor material, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh-huh. I was called into the ministry and so started just um, a 90 mile per hour life with me and my mm-hmm. wife and our children uh, that has not stopped since it's crazy. Um, uh, uh-huh. Let's see. Uh, went to seminary. Um Started uh, ministry part time at uh, my church here in Athens, and mm-hmm. got the privilege to teach college students and pastor them for well during the pandemic, right before mm-hmm. the pandemic, and then coronavirus started. Which, uh, Lord have mercy, Corona ministry before Corona versus after Corona is nuts. The, yeah. the difference is uh, is vast. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, had the great privilege of ministering college students, um, and then since then I. I uh, I've really been on a track being very interested in giving Mm. where I'm not currently pastoring at a local church, Mm -hmm. but my heart, my mission has really been geared towards giving and specifically Mm -hmm. what some would call reverse tithing. Mm -hmm. So uh, to give anybody a context, if you don't know what a tithe is, that means 10% of your income in the Old Testament days, you would give to the priestly class, the, the church sort of uh, industrial complex of ancient Israel, you know, you give 10%, in other words, kind of like a tax because they were a nation state and the nation and the church are the same thing. So you kind of give a tax to the nation or church that keeps mm. the function going and it makes everybody, everybody's life better because you're communal and your, your finances even. So anyway, yeah. reverse tithing would be you flip that on its head instead mm. of giving 10% away and living on 90, which some people, even that's too much. I mean, come on, you want me to give away this? I want to give away 90% of my income Mm. and I want, and I want to live on 10%. All right. And that's nutty to people who have never heard that before. So the past few years I've gone from thinking that's a great idea and wishing I could do it to where Mm. after, after uh, ministering with the college students realized you know, if, if this is going to become a reality, then this ministry needs to get going and I need to concentrate on and make moves to actually make it happen. So that's my goal. Mm-hmm. Now I'm really, um, pointed, uh, our ships in that direction. We're sailing that way mm-hmm. through stormy seas, but, uh, <laughs> the goal is to get to where I can give away 90% of my income and live on 10%. Right. So, um, where ministry goes from that, I am not sure, man, I have no idea, but i tell you what, it sure is a fun ride. Hey, absolutely. And just, you know, one of the things I, I tell people, um, especially been telling a lot of college students or recent grads who 
I just, I am seeing so much struggle with that group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, just the way things are, it's hard to find jobs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But one of the things I'm telling people is to embrace the process to, you know, mm. we say trust the process. Yeah. One of my favorite football coaches says that. Yeah. Who is, who is that? I'm sorry. Kirby smart. Come on. Kirby smart. <laughs> <laughs> he says so many things, you know, so I'm like, Oh he, Lord. He says, a lot, says yeah. he says a lot of things that we can't see on this podcast. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you know, we, so that has become kind of an adage for, our generation, generations after us, because they've been indoctrinated to do that. But man, you know, I think you got to go beyond just trusting the process and you have to appreciate the process. You have to embrace the process. And I ain't going to lie to you, Mike. And this took me some time, but you got to enjoy the process. Yeah, that's true. You know? And so talk to me about how you came to the point where you could embrace your process. Oh yeah. Uh, it was, Oh, I can tell you the very exact moment. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you about from its inception. Then I'll get to the, the moment where I said foot in the ground, this is where I'm going. Okay. And I'm, you know, we may, <laughs> we may shipwreck along the way, but we're taking our boats that direction. Okay. Um, so I learned about this idea just with one of my pastors from church. This was shortly after I was saved and I'm just trying to navigate my family in the right direction and mm-hmm. get our finances right. We were dirt poor when my wife and I were, um, were first married. I mean, broke. Um, and that's actually where I learned about the, this, the, the blessing of tithing. To other people, but also to yourself, because um, we didn't have any money to tithe, <laughs> Jeffrey. We right. didn't have any money to give away. Wow. We didn't cut wow. out ten percent of my income. We we can't give away ten percent. We need that ten percent to pay the water bill, mm-hmm. because there's a leak in the water in our uh, crawl space under our house that flooded the whole crawl space. If we give away ten percent, first of all, we can't pay our water bill. Second of all, we can't fix the leak that just happened, and mm-hmm. you know, on and on and on, and not, a million excuses circumstances when you, you know, you let circumstances come in and dictate what your decisions are going to be. Anyway, uh, my wife uh, blessed me tremendously in insisting, let me tell you something. We need to give 10% still. We've got to do it. Wow. And, and I had the, and I still do have the conviction that this is not a mandate for the year 2020 that everyone must give exactly 10% Mm -hmm. or you're not following the biblical commands because in my estimation, that biblical command was giving to um, people living in a wilderness Mm -hmm. 3000 years ago, Mm -hmm. belonging to a nation state that we would eventually call Israel. Maybe they would call themselves Hebrews at the time. That doesn't include me because I live in 2021 in America on and on. That theology, I guess, could be rehashed later. Anyway, I was not of the opinion, look, we got to give this. It's just good to give. Mm. My wife was like, we got to give it. And I said, you know what? I want to give it. So here's the deal. Because God loves a cheerful giver Mm. and not someone who's uh, bitter about it. 
Mm-hmm. You write, you write the check to the church girl. All right. Mm. So my wife wrote the check and I said, I'm not looking at it. You just do whatever. <laughs> anyway, that, that money that at the end of that month, we had the biggest surplus we ever had in our budget. Wow. And I, I think I, that point, a light went off, went, all right. I think, I think what I'm seeing is that if I commit my work to the Lord, then he's going to establish things. Mm. So let's, let's keep doing this. But uh, in that process, talking to one of our pastors from church, he introduced the idea of reverse tithing. He's just like, oh, yeah, you can do this. And I mean, there's people who even give away 90. What mm. in the world? Those, those people are nuts. Fast forward um, last year. And news comes out that one of the well, the church that we have planted in a, a mountainous region of Guatemala, mm. they're growing like they're doing great things. The pastor there is, he goes from town to town. This is during the pandemic when they really couldn't meet, they would all meet at his house. He would mm. go, um, you know, up and down the Hills around that town and the shut-ins, the widows, the orphans, you know, they're just the classic who needs stuff. And he would mm-hmm. just go deliver food, talk to them. What do you need? Uh, and just, you know, just meet their needs in a very practical way. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden these people are going, yeah, you know, I, I realized this Jesus is something I really actually want. And so he just mm-hmm. threw it, you know, just through being gentle and, and uh, mm-hmm. friendly, all of a sudden he's starting to amass a congregation mm-hmm. meeting in his house. And he didn't have a big house because, by the way, when we're giving him his house, um, <laughs> guess how much we had to give. So, you know, <laughs> he's busting at the seams with his house church. We have land. We bought land. Mm-hmm. in uh, the top of a hill there in Guatemala. And we planted a church. I was there, had the privilege of being there for their first worship service, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside, it's just, in the middle. we were in a cornfield, but we were mm. out there where our church is. Mm. And um, the, the pastor at our church said, you know, he, he briefed the situation. Here's what's going on. You know, pastor, he's, he's out there, you know, just in his house like sardines with all of his congregation. Now more people want to come in. We got to have a building. Mm-hmm. And he issued the call basically of like, those of you who are ready and willing to give more and you mm-hmm. earmark this for, you know, this church that we've planted in Guatemala with the help mm-hmm. of a, a Guatemalan uh, church in Southern Florida, people have migrated from Guatemala. Mm-hmm. So um, we partner with them. It's not just mm. a bunch of white people going in and do so, doing something in a tropical country. That's right. <laughs> that's got some, uh, an asterisk, you know, ri- written beside it. So anyway, yeah. if you're willing to help out with this joint cause that everyone knows we need the people in Guatemala know they need it. The people in Southern Florida who are Guatemalans know we want to do it. We want to do it. Mm-hmm. We need this much money to build a building for that church that already exists on the property mm-hmm. that we already own. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was a sum that people were kind of, you know, loosening their, their shirt collars a little bit going like, man, we already gave, you know, to buy yeah. the land. And we already, we had to renovate our church here and asking for, and I, the only thing in my mind was like, are you kidding me that we can't give the money to start building this right. church? Right. Are you wow. kidding me? Mm-hmm. This person, this pastor who moved, from another region of Guatemala up here into the mountains has been killing in ministry. He's Mm. growing. Everybody knows and loves him. The people in his congregation love Jesus and they're trying to do more good things for everyone around them. Mm -hmm. 
and we can't get them some cinder blocks. They don't want a doggone, you know, Scandinavian style glass wall, <laughs> modern looking. Come on. With LED screens. <laughs> All they need is cinder blocks, mortar, some two by fours, a uh, metal roof. I mean, we. Yeah. Basically. You don't need much. Come on. Yeah. And the sum uh, in the, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. I, I just the only thing in my mind was. God, if I had that, it'd be gone immediately. Mm. Like I wouldn't even think twice. Right. There's wow. nothing in my mind. If I have that sum in my bank account, mm-hmm. I wouldn't try to give a percentage of it away. I would no. give a hundred percent of that money wow. to that cause because I know those people need it. Mm-hmm. Cause wow. I believe in the cause. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that thought just festered in my mind and it real and I realized, well, if I'm not going to make myself, more wealthy in some kind of monetary sense. Mm-hmm. I won't be able to ever do that. Mm-hmm. So I better get busy mm-hmm. on, on creating more revenue uh, from, you know, my family. I need to just, my income needs to go through the roof so I can start yeah. supplying these people. And I don't have a closed hand. I don't want to keep a ton. I don't want to be a Rockefeller. I want to mm-hmm. give and, and wow. make other people better off. And so that, that was the moment where I realized this is the process I'm going to embrace and just enjoy the heck out of it. Mm. I mm. want that church that we planted in Guatemala to have a building. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we can't give it to them. It bothers the heck out of me that I don't have that money to just give it to them. Right. It's automatic. If I had it, it'd be automatic. Yeah. And somehow we as a collective congregation, we don't have enough of that. That's mm. not acceptable. So mm. that's the point where I said, look, this is where we're going. And I'm, you know, maybe I crash and burn. I know Proverbs does say, don't wear yourself out to get rich. I'm not trying to do that. I'm telling you what, I'm making all kinds of moves that makes my wife nervous because I do things that the financial people say, don't do this because it's, you know, they want you to retire at 65 and enjoy about five years of your life retired (laughs) before you have a heart attack and then regret that you worked 50 years of your life, you know? So That's the point, Jeffrey, where I said, okay, we're, we're going on a very unusual process here mm. to do a very unusual thing. But this is the thing that I think God has really laid on my heart mm. and said, that's, this is what I'm going to do mm. and, uh, and I'm going to enjoy it. Okay. Well, and you know, one of the things that in working with um, college students, millennials, Gen Z service and mm-hmm. seeing their work meaningful, putting their yeah. hands to meaningful work yeah. is really the way that they want to be engaged on their spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. So talk to me kind of about how you've been able to bridge, bridge that gap, bring them along and, um, and train them um, in the service aspect, get them engaged in that way. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to mobilize young people to do something good. Mm-hmm. And I think we have, partly, I think we have the media to help, mm-hmm. to, uh, to thank in helping us in that cause. I, I talk to them and there's just so much pessimism. Mm-hmm. Um, they think, the, I mean, they think our country, if not the world, is, is just garbage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in past generations, I guess, if you wanted to, uh, make a gospel presentation you start with like uh 
some concept like total depravity and realize about mm-hmm. you got to convince them of their sin. And it's just like a lot of these young people, they're, they're, they're you don't have to convince anybody of sin or brokenness or um, right. desperation or anything like that. They, they are so in tune with service. And, and so I would include them with that um, social causes, mm-hmm. social yeah. issues. Um, that is something that the uh, current generations and, and probably some to come, they are zoned in on social issues Yes, uh, to a way that um, previous generations were just not. I mean, it wasn't even on their radar, not that they were mm-hmm. ignoring it. It just right. wasn't even it wasn't even on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to mobilize these po- these folks into into caring for others in a, mm-hmm. just a, a practical um. way. So we would try to do that in ministry. We try to wrap it up in at like the same time as fellowship or the same mm-hmm. time as like lessons, Sunday mm-hmm. school, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we try to do, you know, you try to knock out a few, few things at one time. Um, one thing that I know that evangelical churches do often is, you know, mission trips. Like I spoke about going sure. to Guatemala, mm-hmm. how we've partnered with that um, a Guatemalan church that's in Florida. Mm-hmm. You don't have to convince people or twist their arm to go on a trip. Right. And it's not to a luxurious place mm-hmm. <laughs> by any means. <laughs> you want to go, you want to go to the mountains of Western Guatemala mm. where, you know, you can't put things on Instagram because you don't have any signal. Uh, you know, it's, it's not like mm-hmm. you can take a selfie with a poor child and hashtag it and put it out on social media and pretend that you did something great for poor people. Wow. All right. It's not ecotourism. Mm. It's serious stuff. There's danger to it. Uh, there's risks involved and, and you're probably going to get sick. And, mm. and several people have gotten sick every time we've gone down like bad sick. Really? And you do not have to convince them to go mm. because the, the message is we have an opportunity no, we have an obligation, a yeah. privilege mm-hmm. to help other people, mm-hmm. especially people who are interested in the things that we are interested in. In other words, people who are calling out for either a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, in other words, mm-hmm. and we as evangelicals would hop all over that and say, man, I got just the stuff for you. I got five pamphlets and, and yeah. 10 different ways to talk you through this. Uh, life journey, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's people in need, and we have the stuff that they're asking for. And if you just inconvenience yourself a little bit, we can help them. Mm. Shoot, people jump all over that, mm. especially the young people. Mm. And what's interesting, Jeffrey, is that we've had to rely on the young people, not just in the pandemic. Mm. But that's that's a big factor to their involvement because the older generations could not help not their fault they could not help in the pandemic the height of it especially mm-hmm. they were they were shut in and y'all take care of yourselves mm-hmm. the young people our church was operated i'm telling you for like eight months by young people wow i'm telling you it was pastors and young people running the church mm. so you don't have to convince them hard to to go and do something how would you say it inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Actually, I had one guy in my college ministry who um, 
and you know, you know this, and your 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 listeners probably know it, but I'll bring it up anyway because I think it's an important subject. And I'll, I'll be delicate as I can. Evangelicals, I think, especially in the past few years, mm. have been criticized for maybe um, turning away from social issues, or maybe being on the the side that some people just wouldn't want them to be on. <laughs> I'll say it like that. I got because I don't, I, and and I say that because I am evangelical. I'm a Southern Baptist. This is where my mm. membership is. So I'm 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 really you know I'm very interested in this. I'm mm. I'm in tune with what. What's going on? I understand the way evangelicals think, and I know why they do the things they do. And it's not out mm-hmm. of any kind of, it's not out of prejudice. It's not out of um, fear. They have logical reasons. But people who are not evangelical would look at them and go, Why are you doing? Why are you on this side? Why would you vote for this rascal? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I had a guy in my college ministry, and so he sticks out like a sore thumb in an evangelical church, right? Yeah, I got you. We had a march in downtown Athens. I forget. There's a few, you know. I forget which one this was, but it had something to do with police, and I don't remember who organized it anyway. Uh-huh. I think I this, know what you're talking about. Okay. This dude went down there, and he marched the whole day, stood around, chanted signs, whatever. Mm-hmm. Very socially active, very socially minded. Uh-huh. I like this kid. He's cool. And I remember, you know, I said something. I was, uh, I think I was texting. I was like, Hey, you know, I mentioned this guy's name to one of our pastors. Like, Hey, pray for him. Make sure he's safe. Cool. He's down there. He's, he's doing this stuff. I know he's mm-hmm. not going to do anything dumb because mm-hmm. he's not dumb. Mm-hmm. He's just very, he just has a heart for these kind of issues. Yeah. You know, let's make sure I want to make sure he, he comes home safe is what I want. Yeah. And you know, the, the response to hearing that this kid was at the marches was kind of like, oh, and not oh. again. Here he, here he goes. He's doing he's doing things, uh-huh. you know. And I brought him back. I think it was the next Sunday after that thing, and maybe that was on a, a Friday night or a Saturday mm-hmm. night. Anyway, Sunday, in uh, in our our you know all together Sunday school class, and there's at least fifty folks in there at that time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I said. I mentioned him by name and said, Hey, tell me what you did yesterday. Uh oh. You know, and so he, okay. And he talked about going down there and stuff. And, um, and we took, I think maybe 10, 15 minutes and just talked about why, why he thought it was necessary, mm-hmm. why he did it, and what we could do to help mm-hmm. people, regardless if you agree with them. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you have to say, Oh, I'm adopting all of the views of this uh, organization over here or this party or. No, no, no. How can you help them if we have a mutual interest, if -hmm. we have a cause? And the cause is that as a theme throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, is that God is a God of justice Mm -hmm. and that he he wants to see right things done and that he's going to make right things done. Mm -hmm. And that those who are on the wrong side of that Mm -hmm. are not going to fare well either in this life or, you know, spiritually with him, that he's interested Mm -hmm. in taking care of the downtrodden, the poor, the Mm -hmm. oppressed, the on, on, on. Mm-hmm. And that, so we should, we should, um, you know, embody that, that role mm-hmm. of people to be like Jesus every day. And I know people will disagree then on what it means to be like Jesus, because obviously Jesus voted Democrat, didn't you know, and obviously <laughs> Jesus voted Republican, didn't you know, and, <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I get so tired of those, those kind of thinking, mm-hmm. because it, it distracts from the real issue, which is that, 
young people want to make a gigantic difference. Mm-hmm. They see that they see the cause, they see the reason where they're needed. And mm-hmm. they're on both sides of this thing. I see young people on the, um, well, even say like a secular side, you know, those young people, man, they're, they're like an army. They'll, they'll mobilize and they'll try to change the world. And even if that means banging their head against the wall, they'll do that. Mm-hmm. And then I see, you know, like I said, from the evangelical side, the Southern Baptists, shoot, they want to change the world. Mm-hmm. And they have a heart that is, I'm telling you, sensitive to these causes. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey, so for your, your, your question, man, it's not hard to mobilize these people into mm-hmm. doing something good. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, though, here's something different. Mm-hmm. For some of the older generations, when we talk about mission trips, we talk about safety measures that we're implementing. And we talk about how um, we're going to take care of you. And, oh, here's the safety needs and oh, health concerns. And here's what we're doing. And above, because they have all these things in mind. Young people. This is going to be hard. You're going to get sick. Maybe take some Cipro, you know, from the doctor and have a little pill. And you can take that when you start to know that your tummy is about to turn upside down. Um, (laughs) There's there's sex traffickers in the area. Mm. Ladies, here's what we're doing to take care of that. If you don't want to go, we understand. Here's what we're doing to take care of everybody. But here's all the dangers. Mm. I'm going to tell you what. There is a louder response from the young people in response to dangers than there is for older people in response to safety. Mm. You bring out, here's the challenges. Mm-hmm. Then they come in. They wow. want to make a difference. They don't why would you waste your time, you know, going somewhere where there's nothing needed from me? Like, Hey, how about, you know, we're, we're thinking about, I don't know. I hear there's this, you know, a little chain of islands, you know, off, off the coast of India called the, the Maldives. Is it Maldives or Maldives? You know, that resort. Maldives. I, Maldives, yeah, right? Go. <laughs> all right. We're going to take a mission trip to the Maldives. All right. We're mm. staying on, you know, huts about three feet above the water level. Um, it's, you know, if you've ever seen a, uh, <laughs> a, a background on a computer screen, that's where we're going. Yeah. It's going to be great. <laughs> Nobody needs anything. Um, and we're just going to take care of you and pamper you the whole time. You ready to go? What are we, what are we doing? What are we it's, doing? A it's a vacation. Why would I do that? Hey, we're going to a remote region of Central America mm-hmm. where people are desperate in need. The pandemic has hit them quite hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, economics are down. Mm-hmm. Health-wise, they're fine because they're so remote. So, you know, who cares about the pandemic and their, their mm-hmm. site? Um, but uh, your safety is going to be a little rocky. Mm. Uh, it's very impoverished. It's mm. dirty. Mm. And it's going to be just super inconvenient getting over there because it's going to take a few days through the mountains on a bus that breaks down about every 15 minutes. You ready to go? When can we go? You tell me <laughs> where to sign up. Let's go. I'll take out money from wherever and we'll, we'll just do this. Mm. Yeah, I'm telling you what, man it's easy to get young people involved and mm. to be mindful of those kind of things. Mm. So, um, I mean, that's tremendous. Um, and, you know, I think some of the differences that we see with, even within the, the church collective, so mm-hmm. the larger church context, some of the differences that we see, and you can push me on this if you want to, but- Go for it, come on. 
some of the differences that I believe we see is, do you think has to do with the social or the, the realities of their own poverty here? Mm-hmm. So there's less of a propensity to want to go somewhere else <laughs> where if I'm in the plight here. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And, and so, so absolutely. Um, and so I think, and, but, you know, I think, I don't think that that is something that is altogether bad. Right. Because mm-hmm. I, if I am in it here and mm-hmm. I'm working to alleviate and relieve some of that here that's good Mm -hmm. if i'm in a position where i'm able to go Mm -hmm. that's also good (laughs) yes yes it is uh god loves people sometimes we try to make it either or uh yes well why are you going all the way over there yes (laughs) yes I, I, a thousand percent understand. I have a, <laughs> I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> I have a thousand things to say about that. I'll yeah. tell you this. I'll, I'll start with this. God loves people in Bumblebee, Egypt, just as he loves people in uh, Athens, Georgia. Absolutely. He loves them both the same. Absolutely. And so they need, they need people there. They need people here. Yeah. Uh, you're exactly right. I, I remember taking a class in seminary on, um, and church history actually is kind of the modern modern side of church history and, and talking about different faith traditions today, even just within Protestantism, there's a big difference. And it does have a lot to do with your socioeconomic background, yep. how you do church. Yeah, there was I mean, there's a science behind it. Wow. I remember we watched this one uh, documentary where they went into um terribly impoverished communities um and uh, oh i forget where and it doesn't matter we'll just say there's a black community somewhere that they're living all in shotgun houses and you know yep. hardly anybody was able to have a job um and those who had the privilege of a job was is almost like day wages and it was really risky and it's just like yeah. man these people are just trying their best and and he went inside their church and they were dressed to the nines these folks, I mean, I mean, have you ever seen the show Downton Abbey? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. And they wear white tie to dinner. I mean, it looks like the finest thing you've ever worn in your life. <laughs> These black folks in this church were dressing up and making Downton Abbey people look poor. Yeah. They dressed so well in this church. And then we went to this idea of uh, the like the cookie cutter evangelical church. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, gosh, what's the name of it? It's up in Chicago, the really famous um, Willow Creek, I believe. Mm. Um, and it showed that these people who live here, Willow Creek, mm-hmm. they work in Chicago-ish. Mm-hmm. They live in the Chicago area, but in the nice suburbs. They're used to driving forever mm-hmm. to go to their jobs. So it doesn't cost them anything to drive a long time to their church in the morning. So they all go to a gigantic church that looks like a corporate campus Mm. and they wear casual khakis, shorts, even Bermuda shirts, whatever. All right. And their church was casual and the black church from the shotgun house community 
was formal, but not in the expression. Of course, they were very expressive um, mm-hmm. in their worship. But the, the service itself had almost a high church feel to it, whereas the evangelical church, the, the rich white suburbs, was so relaxed and casual because they both wanted an escape from reality and that mm. God gives us this sort of window into greater things, not just wow. an escape from reality, because that's not a very good term mm-hmm. um, to use. He gives us a window into greater things and for mm. A shotgun house, a greater thing would be nicer clothes, maybe. Mm. And for a rich, uh, well-off suburb, a greater thing would be casual life, not mm. the hustle. Mm. So um, I, I just take that point to bring back to what you said, that you bet that our outreach or our outlook on social issues has so much to do with our current situation. And, you know, thinking on theology for a little bit. Yeah, that's why you view stuff in the Bible different ways mm-hmm. is because of your circumstance. You read, um, and, and uh, gosh, I, maybe my least, my, fa- my most favorite book in the Bible is Genesis. My least favorite is Revelation. That doesn't mean it all goes downhill throughout the whole Bible. It's just <laughs> my favorite happens to be Genesis. And my least favorite, if you can have a least favorite mm-hmm. of the Bible and be a pastor, is Revelation. Mm-hmm. And I cannot stand people opening up Revelation and telling me what that means. Like, no, no, that's what it means to you. Mm-hmm. Because you think end times are coming because you live in such and such a present time. Wow. The guy who wrote this didn't live in your present time. No. I'm pretty sure it means something different to him. Mm. Well, yeah, that our outreach strategies are completely different because of how we live now, mm-hmm. where we are. Mm. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with local ministry and there's nothing wrong with international International. ministry. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, we here's something and you'll, I think you'll, you'll understand this since you brought it up. Mm -hmm. Our church is in an area that used to be a very well-off business area of town Mm -hmm. and majority white. Mm -hmm. And Athens has completely shifted from then. Yeah. To where now we are surrounded. We are, it's a white brick church. And we never, when we invite people to church, we we're like, we never say it's the white church, even though it's all painted white. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be, it's not just white people. We say it's the white brick church. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just white people in there. Please come. <laughs> that white brick church is surrounded by Hispanic and other Brown communities. And then on outside of that black communities, mm. we have, especially our, our senior pastor has bent over backwards to try to figure out and do things to get those surrounding communities in our church. Mm. And let me tell you something, that is a wall Mm. that white people will not break by themselves. Wow. I'm telling you, Mm. we can go, we can bend over backwards and try to do ministry in the community. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. If it's mm. coming from the wrong people, there's a big block that is like you say, intra-church. It's not just evangelicals. Mm-hmm. We run up against a thousand prejudices. That's not just Absolutely. ours. Um, and you're, you're butting your head up against the outside world. You're, you're running up against a thousand different walls mm-hmm. of people who not just disagree with a philosophy you have. They just disagree with you, period. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the tragedies of our, our time, I think, is in an information age when we should have gotten rid of these sort of thoughts, still very tribal. Mm. So, yeah, back to your original point then. Where you are and what you, what you live with, yeah, you bet that affects your social um, involvement and, mm. your, and, and the certain social issues that you prioritize. Mm. Jimmy Carter, I think, wrote a book um, about, you know, and he, he was, he was, man, he was bothered by the um, interest in, I think it was abortion mm-hmm. and maybe gay marriage mm-hmm. in more conservative churches, mm. rather than focusing on the divorce rate. Mm. And to Jimmy Carter, he was saying, listen, folks, divorce rate's going to happen a lot higher. It's big issue. It's breaking up families, which then causes more of these problems that you think you're against. And I, I think he brought up, uh, and maybe he didn't hammer it in the book, mm-hmm. but brought up the idea that different churches favor different things because they have different lifestyles. Mm-hmm. The church and and here's a here's a point though that I'm gonna I'm gonna stress on this one and you you don't have to like it. you can push back on this one too. Okay, that's the way it's supposed to be mm. because because God has made churches throughout the entire world and like I said He likes people in Bumblebee Egypt just like He mm. does in Athens Georgia. Mm. That's why churches in China don't mm. have to have the same causes as churches in America and they mm. should not right. because they have different lifestyles. And they mm-hmm. should favor different things and they should uh, focus on those things. They should help right. people in China. Mm-hmm. Um, the church in Iran, underground, doing great things. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't give a rip about certain issues we have, and nor should they. Mm-hmm. I don't need them to put up any hashtag. They need to just be silent and keep mm-hmm. going. All right. Mm-hmm. Churches in Europe, different thing. Yeah. churches and so and we keep doing this and i go of course we should always keep operating because we're we're one body it's not just brides mm. of christ he, he he didn't you know mess around too much christ has one bride he has one church yeah. right but i do think even in athens there's a church on timothy road that mm. can operate different than a church on west broad street and mm. that's okay because that's god okay. will use one on west broad street to help that place and he will mm. use timothy road to help that place yeah so Honestly, I, I don't get worked up about, oh, these churches over here are mean and they're mean to them. They got different That's missions. That's it, man. That's it. Yeah. You know, and I, I think, and yes, the, and like you said, kind of the broader, the broader point is the, the mission. Overall, the mission is the same and it's all centered on yeah. people. It's bringing mm-hmm. the miracle and the gift of salvation to, yep. to to folks who haven't been yet exposed to it. I mean, it's the Great Commission, right? And yeah. so if that for you and the ministry that you're a part of is local, that's cool. But get this, it don't just have to be either or. It can yes. be both and. I yes. can have a local, a local impact and a global yes. impact. You know, I, it's, it's not either or. And I think sometimes people we latch onto 
the argument that I that we feel best gives us something in our arsenal so we can shoot arrows yes. <laughs> at other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we latch on to, and here's the thing too. If you think about, I know this is kind of, but it's still part of millennial spirituality because these mm-hmm. are questions that we have. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Okay. We're talking about the socioeconomic kind of the ethos Mm-hmm. of that particular church or that particular body so you're saying all right if i'm thinking about the socioeconomic you know reality of the mm-hmm. people there sometimes we our resources are local yes <laughs> the, yeah. the amount of our resources what we can do with what we got that's yeah. local mm-hmm. and there are others who may have more resources that they can do some larger some larger things but that's okay and that is not something that people need to be ashamed of that's not something that people need to shy away from it's when you're trying to wear somebody else's shoes you're offending the community that god has put you in right that's a great point yeah i think a very uh, a secular way to say it would just stay in your lane yeah you have uh, maybe a more kingdom focused way to say it would be that you have a role to play that is unique to you Mm -hmm. and that you should play it. Absolutely. You don't, you remember, (laughs) you remember uh, university of Kentucky used to have a left-handed quarterback. His name is Jared Lorenzen, right? Mm -hmm. You remember him? Mm -hmm. He was what, you know, 400,000 pounds. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) He was awesome. He's an incredible mm-hmm. football player and an incredible quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he was unique in that he was huge. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, for anyone who doesn't know Jared Lorenzen, think Ben, Big, Big Ben, Ben mm-hmm. Roethlisberger, mm-hmm. and then hold down the control key on your keyboard and click the mouse and drag it to the upper right-hand corner of your computer screen. Just make them big. Mm-hmm. And that was Jared. And he had a very unique role to play because mm-hmm. no one could play that role like him. No, he could throw the ball. And I mean, he wasn't going to run. If he did run, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> he it wasn't like Lamar Jackson or something. He was not like, going to get out. He's going to run you over. Literally. Yeah. You're in trouble. <laughs> he had a very, only he could do that. Only he could do it that way. And if he had decided, you know, maybe they're right that it just be it make more sense if i was an you know an offensive guard Mm -hmm. yeah i should play center after all Mm. then you never get jared lorenzen right you have you have a very unique set of traits in a very unique setting in a very limited amount of circumstances you got to play the card that was dealt to you and you got to do it as Mm -hmm. as best you can Mm-hmm. That's why you know the whole reverse tither thing is like, shoot, I don't know who exactly I'm going to be able to bless, or if mm-hmm. I'm just going to drive my family nuts. <laughs> but I I know I've got a list already of I could do this, 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 and this, this, and I know all of these people need it. So that's why you take what you're dealt and you just do your best. Mm-hmm. And keep your head down and don't criticize people who are different than you who have another mission. 
Yeah. It's absolutely. like you said, the mission is the mission is the same. I use mm-hmm. the wrong word, a different task on the mission. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have different tasks, but we're all involved in the same mission. The if same you can just, mission. if you can support others mm-hmm. who have a different task to stay on mission and mm-hmm. you concentrate on yours and don't bellyache about somebody else mm-hmm. and we'll all have a good time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in work, and I mean, one of the, um, especially specifically at our church, one of the big words that we use and one that I've really latched onto is collaboration. Oh, uh, yeah. Because, I mean, there are things that you do, you strong at. There are mm-hmm. things that we do or that I do that I'm strong at. Yeah. And so it's best when we can find those synergies and work together, you know? Um, and so that, you know, I think, Seeing more of that, understanding that, yeah, you know, we a different crowd over here, but we all part of the same team. We're all pushing in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm going to be honest with you, I think that sectarianism, I think that has been what has been kind of a bit of a turnoff to younger people. I was about to segue that way myself. I was just thinking, they spot differences Mm-hmm. And if you hold them with a very closed fist, mm-hmm. it's a it's a huge turnoff. Yes, they they got the memo. Young mm-hmm. people did without us having to somehow explain, uh, you know, church formations or anything like that. They they got the memo that you're all supposed to be working together. Mm-hmm. And if you can split it up a thousand different ways and be you know dogmatic about the splits, mm-hmm. I don't want anything to do with that. That's dysfunctional. Mm. Why would I, I mean, I want to do something that's difficult. I don't want to do, be a part of something dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. So yes, they spot that kind of stuff and young people don't want anything to do it. That's why my approach, especially with the college kids was always, you could call it collaborative. Mm-hmm. I would, I would constantly mention different things throughout church history that different Christians thought, thought mm-hmm. differently than us on these issues. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of the one of the like the greatest successes I had mm-hmm. when I was pastoring college students is we do Bible studies that were all about controversial issues in the Bible mm-hmm. or controversial passages. Mm-hmm. And so we'd take different things like um, uh, take creation. All right. It's an easy layup on that one and say, you know, how many different views are there about the doctrine of creation? I mean, we could just start listing and go on forever. How many in this room have different views on this thing? And all of a sudden they're looking around at each other like, who's got a different view than me? And I know about you. <laughs> and we so, and so I would go through, you know, I'd, I'd pick like, you know, some just different popular ones and I'd pick some off the wall view that they've never heard of. And we go through like four or five of them. And I would argue for these points mm. for like 15 minutes at a time. And they'd have to, you know, grill me and they ask questions and I grill them and we go through it. And at the, at the end, we figured out all these different faith traditions that are all within Orthodox Christianity mm-hmm. and basically say, now what, what, now what you think about creation for in other words. And then all of a sudden they're, you know, you can look at their faces and like, uh, I think completely different than I, I did 20 minutes ago, wow. you know, and that's okay because I understand why it works and why it's faithful to scripture and why this glorifies God. And why mm-hmm. people over here thought that and why my faith tradition didn't, because, mm-hmm. again, I live in this area 
And mm. this time, so I started, I just naturally my biblical worldview. Yes, it was, it naturally shaped itself to my place in time. And because my parents thought this, I thought this, they, they don't like sectarianism, mm. but if you can teach it, they, they love to understand why people like different things. Mm-hmm. That's why I think the point we made earlier it's okay to be different. God's going to use you to be different. Yes. I, I do not want, I actually, this aggravates the fool out of me. Mm-hmm. Different worship style. People getting upset over worship music. All right. Worship music styles. You're not meant to, who cares? Um, it would be foolish if at my church, mm-hmm. our worship pastor decided, you know what? I really like the way Timothy does their music. <laughs> we're going to we're going to adjust everything about our music ministry to be just like Timothy. First of all, dude, you don't have the people for it. <laughs> you got some great people. You got some great voices up here. But uh-huh. I'm going to tell you what. We had a Christmas sing along at our church last week maybe. It yeah. was cool. They had the mandolin, they had banjo, yeah. they had a big old stand up bass. It was uh-huh. like being in a barn. It was cool. Uh-huh. Um and everybody was singing and stuff. And I'm going to tell you there were several songs that required a clap on the upbeat and nobody could do it. Uh, let me clarify that. Cause that sounds prejudiced. It's not that they couldn't do it. They refused to do it. <laughs> they refused to do it. And I even made a point in one of the songs. I don't remember what, which one it was. Maybe I'll fly away or something. Uh-huh. And it started and nobody clapped yet. So I said, I'm just going to do it. And on <laughs> two and four, I was like, <laughs> and I mean, I, I like, I was loud, like drum major clap I, every, and, and people came on it for a while. And let me tell you something when my hands, I mean, my hands were like bruised. I mean, mm. I was killing it just try mm. try to get the whole room to do it. And I was miserable. I, I was so much pain. So I stopped and immediately when I stopped, it went to one and three and then the clapping <laughs> stopped. I feel there's you. no, there's no point. No, in trying to force yeah. a certain uh, faith tradition to mm-hmm. act like another, we're on right. the same mission, and God uses that diversity yes. to to reach multiple people groups. Yes. That's why we partner with yes. a church in South Florida that is Guatemalan. We don't enforce ourselves on Guatemalans and make them do our stuff. Okay, that's good. We Mike. just. We come alongside people who have the same mission and we help them. If we have the finances, but they, they are lacking resources. We're on the same mission. We, if we got finances, we can help you. Okay. If you need, if you just need more people to do menial stuff, guess what? We've got people. We'll just mobilize them. You tell us what to do. We'll help. That's how you do stuff. Come in and support what you're doing. I don't tear down what you're doing and try to rebuild. I support what you're doing exactly man listen this has been rich i well um, let me tell you what here's what's even more rich jeffrey what's that you you go back to your church you tell them that you know beach haven has got a dynamite worship team Uh and y'all need to just scrap all the music you're doing and you need to do it our way i heard a beach haven had a banjo and a christmas sing-along why aren't we using the banjo in sunday morning worship Come on. <laughs> Boy, listen, you already know what kind of conversation we're going to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, they won't say nothing. They just, they, <laughs> you know, we're, 
the thing I love about Timothy, they're yeah. gonna do like this. They'll do like that. Okay. Like, like, like that. They'll talk about it after. Yeah. <laughs> you hear about it later. You know, the uh, there's an evangelical uh, phrase for that. Mm-hmm. And it, when you don't want to tell someone, get the, this crazy, you say, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to think, yeah, I'm going to pray about that. <laughs> and even like within, even within like the black church, man, Mm-hmm. You'll notice there are differences. There's some that are more yeah. praise and worship, some that are more him, but it's mm. different strokes for different folks. If that's what you, if that's how you worship, yeah. then do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I remember, um, I think maybe the first time I went to church with you in college uh-huh. Uh-huh. and, uh, and I've been to other black churches before. So it wasn't like, you know, I was, I guess, you know, just like in a circus tent. Well, what's going on? <laughs> I just, you know, I remember going there and I was like, I just got used to another black church that I went to, you know, prior to you know, mm. now this is completely, I thought I'd y'all do it differently. Y'all are more, oh, y'all do have more hymns. Y'all. Okay. All right. And then uh, went to see you sing at Timothy. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, this is a completely different ball game here. <laughs> completely different. This is completely different. And, you know, it's it's so much fun to look at that, uh-huh. the differences. And this is why I'll go back to that point. And I said, like, I'm not ashamed of, of saying that at all. It no. is good that there are differences. Yeah. If you can stay on the same mission and support each other, it is good. Because, I mean, it is cool to go into uh, a different kind of faith tradition and watch them worship different than you and still be enthusiastic and authentic. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, I stress that word authentic in their, mm-hmm. in their worship. And because, I mean, uh, I've, I've grown to love our uh, worship style of my church, but I mean, honestly, you could put me in some Anglican cathedral in Europe and just organ and people looking at their books and I would enjoy the mess out of it <laughs> because that is some glorious music over there too. Yeah. Man. I love that, that worship style. I love all kinds of worship styles. Mm-hmm. And I think, doggone it I already already you know dumped on revelation so now I'll, I'll say a compliment about it there's a picture in the book of revelation mm-hmm. this idea that this fulfilled kingdom of god that everyone being with him would result in every every tribe every nation in other words every tongue even so in mm-hmm. other words just all people groups um mm-hmm. races um different you know languages whatever everyone is worshiping God together. Mm. And I had a, I had a professor mm. um, in seminary who's Korean. Mm. And he said, he said, some people, especially you white people mm-hmm. <laughs> have this idea that th- that means that all people are worshiping together with the same song mm. or in the same way. Mm. And he said, I don't think it that way. Mm. He said, what I think, is that that means every tribe or every nation, every tongue has their own tradition that they are contributing to this, to this event. And Mm -hmm. so in other words, it would be that African styles of worship. Mm -hmm. And man, I love the news that Africa is just growing and growing and growing with Christianity. It's, it's um, almost miraculous in a way that it's not just birth rates that's contributing mm. to a growth yeah, of Christianity. Wow. It's really, it's really neat. Take what, what style are they worshiping with? What, okay. And take that. And then you, and then you say, okay, what about people in, you know, the Syria, 
like people in Syria are Christians and what do they worship with? Okay. And then, but what about Northern European styles? Mm -hmm. And they're all beautiful and all contribute to this idea that uh, God is worthy of worship and it is fun to worship him. So yeah. Young people, millennials, Gen Z. Mm -hmm. I think they, I think they get that idea too. Mm. It's good to have a, you know, a worship style in town that's different than ours. And it's Mm. okay that ours is different than theirs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I think where, I don't know where this came from, but I know we kind of grew up. I know I kind of grew up in this context where I would, you would look at it and you would say, our style is the best yes like obviously the right way like you know like they do it that way and that's really not how you're supposed to do it we have optimized and perfectly balanced the the style of worship and it's and when I came to school and when I got to college and had my uh I, I I was saved, but I had a a, a salvific experience. Yes, um, you know, a regeneration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it was it was the differences for me that were just that were that were most inviting, that were most um, revelatory, um, and really helped to break down some of those barriers that it really mm-hmm. honestly had me bound. Um, <laughs> yeah, up, man. Um, and so I, I think, you know, we can tie a bow there and just say, you know, mm-hmm. the differences that we have, whether it be the, the socioeconomic construct, the, the context that whatever our particular congregation, that is literally strength. Um, the, yes. The, you know, you hear it. I know that's a buzz phrase. Diversity is strength. But right. it really is. Um, because that enables us to reach these different mm-hmm. groups and actually yep. perform the Great Commission. Um, yep. And for the millennial, for the Gen Zer, for the I believe they call them the Alpha Generation that's coming mm-hmm. up after Gen Z. Oh yeah, we can you know we could communicate and say we're coming to that revelation now. Yeah, it's late. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. we get there to say that hey we understand and we embrace we appreciate our differences and we all are working together in um confirmation of this uh great commission and so millennial sp- spirituality which is really millennial gen z and alpha generation spirituality mm-hmm. we want to keep having discussions like this because it's important, man. And we need to be heard. <laughs> and I think we're getting yeah. to the point where we're being heard. Mm-hmm. Gen Z needs to be heard, especially in this context. Because everybody just thinks they, you know, you know, crazy TikTok, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't even know how to use it. I just be on there enjoying it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, uh, but there is space for you. And as Pastor Bowles would say, the kingdom has need of you. Um, and so we, um, you know, we want to make sure we provide that space and place. Closing thoughts from you 
I'm incredibly optimistic about future generations. Yes, sir. I remember uh, I was preaching a revival down in South Georgia um, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember some of the other pastors from the association down there, we were at a breakfast and they're asking me, you know, about my, they, they were around the table and it was just one thing after another of like, would you believe this? And would you believe this? And would you, oh, this is happening. This is, uh, uh. Uh-huh. and it was all political things and things with America. And um, I was the youngest in the room by at least 20 years, at least 20. That's, mm-hmm. that's modest, probably 34. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And so after, the, and they didn't, I just kept my head down. I was just shoveling food. I was kind of hungry anyway. And I thought it was better not to contribute to that conversation. So, eh. It came up to after me, uh, after the thing, they, they came to me and they said, I actually want to hear a young person's mm-hmm. thoughts on this. Oh, oh, wow. And they said, tell me what you think about, and I forget what it was, what the issue was. And I was like, oh, it's going to be no problem in a few years. <laughs> you know, and I, I forget what the issue was, but he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, young people are all over. They get it. It's going to be solved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then there was another one. I think the other one was like Middle East mm-hmm. and something like that. And he was like, I, free, I forget what the question was, but my response was like, I mean, I believe that the Middle East will be peaceful in time. Mm. And, and it was like, why do you think that? And it was like, because Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth. And because every knee will bow to him. Mm-hmm. And I think that includes the Middle East. Mm. And if you look at statistics of conversions and even people who will die to convert, mm. that Middle East is not as steadfast as you think in other religion. Mm. Christianity is making its way around the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, it'll be the young people in the Middle East that turn that place upside down. Mm-hmm. And usually when you hear that the Middle East is getting turned upside down, that means something like America got involved and did something rash, or I don't know what, mm-hmm. or the people there did something rash. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm saying, I don't see why the young people who crave more democracy, more, more say, more uh, diversity, who crave more freedom in expression, mm. Mm. they're going to have their way eventually. Mm. And so I'm incredibly optimistic, honestly, about future generations. Me as a millennial, I can look at millennials and, and uh, my heart breaks a lot for, for the many millennials who have kind of had to walk away. Yeah. And may and I and I stress that in a way of had to walk away. Mm, um, yeah, I, I, because I, they've I got you. <laughs> they've they've had things have happened to them or to their loved one, and they can't make sense of it, and and they need they need space. Uh, mm. You know, the a popular term that's thrown around right now is deconstruction. Right, mm. that's the one where uh, quite popular, and it's one where people have not so much that people kind of like, un, you know, turn over a rock and go, wait a minute, I don't believe anything anymore. Mm-hmm. What well, seems to be deconstruction is that people feel like the church or people within the church have failed them mm-hmm. in social issues like, like sexual assault, things mm-hmm. like that. And they've, 
and then because of a distrust with this this figure who is supposed to be trustworthy above reproach yeah all of a sudden they start peeling layers off of this onion and well they all smell bad they're all rotten and they get down to a core of just well this is the only thing i can hold on to is just this little core Mm. you know for those people my heart breaks i hate to hear these stories yeah um but because of those questions, people also get answers. Mm. This is what, you know, when I talked about the, the challenging Bible study and how the young people ate it up. Mm-hmm. When you say, what do you think about this controversial topic? Well, obviously this, Jeffrey, it's right. This is the way that we've always done it. So this is the right way. Right. And anybody who thinks differently, this is obviously thinking wrong. Uh-huh. And then you go through and go, hey, guess what? Here's how people 200 years ago thought about because of this. Why do you think about this now? Oh, you're allowed to ask questions. Just be ready for something. If you ask a question, newsflash, you might get an answer. Mm-hmm. Boy, you own to something, man. They're getting answers. Millennials and Gen Z. And what's good about this time is that the resources available to us in Bible study, Bible scholarship, in communication, whether it be like a, um, whether that be small group, you know, community in this a church, whatever, the, the resources we have have never been better. Mm. The knowledge we have about the Bible has never been better. Mm. I have what I, the software I had to get for seminary, mm. I had a professor said people used to do their doctorates. And take like, you know, 10 years on a dissertation to study, you know, this one inquiry. Mm-hmm. You can go into this Bible software and in 30 seconds, you can replicate what took 10 years before. Wow. Yeah. Because we've, you know, we've uh, electronically captured the Bible, especially um, as we're capturing older and older texts. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you what, man, the there are no limits to the answers other than mm-hmm. what God has placed in our human brains. If you want to ask the questions, you might get an answer and it, it might not be one you like, No, but then if it, um, that's why I'm so optimistic about the young generations. Yeah. And I, I think it's probably weird to call us young. We're millennials. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic. I think, I think we're going to change the world. I think we're going to run it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be a better place to live. That's why, I mean, my podcast is all about like, I want you to give too. It's not about every Mm -hmm. podcast episode is not going to be me saying, well, I'm at 12% given today. Let's see if next episode I can get to 13%. All right. See you next time. (laughs) It's all about, I'm trying to get people in to capture this idea to make the biggest difference possible. If you are on a mission Mm -hmm. to, you know, um, one that's on my mind is, you know, one to reduce carbon emissions. Mm. Okay. If you're on that mission, then doggone it, wear yourself out and make sure that when you are done with this mission, it's as complete as you could do it. So you can be satisfied. And I just think young people are going to knock it out. Yeah, man. Look, and I'm going to tell you this too. And I think, I think we, um, I think 
you you touched on this and this is actually going to be one of my questions but or not one of my questions but one of my mm-hmm. statements but kind of in closing I'll say this too like mm-hmm. any relationship mm-hmm. any spiritual experience that you are on where you yeah. can't ask questions yeah again you're going like you said you're gonna get an answer yeah or you can't you the answer you may get an answer you might get an answer you not won't like but yeah. don't stop asking questions and i think that's that's i think a redemptive quality of mm. the of this generation of yeah. our generations now coming into leadership is we're not afraid to question yeah you know what we have been told and 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 has been forced upon us um, yep. as truth <laughs> right yes and, i uh yeah. i i think um one thing that i would i'd tell to gen z I'd, talking with them sometimes in bible study was doubting and questioning are not the same thing mm. some people worry that they're doubting if they have questions and my response is always like ah, question everything so you don't doubt it the more you question the more you get answers and then why would there, your reasons for doubt will shrink Mm. If you question and find a satisfactory answer, of course, if you find an answer you don't like, which is possible, then maybe mm. you need to adjust what, what reality is. Maybe you mm. need to adjust to reality is what I'm saying. Maybe you need to adjust um, what you think is necessary, in other words. Mm. Um, because if you thought that, I mean, like I said, if an organ is the only way to have proper worship music mm. and you go to a church, that doesn't have an organ. If you want to be part of that church, you're going to have to adjust that organs aren't necessary for authentic worship. That's a superficial example, sure. but there are all kinds of little things that we've, we've uh, taken to be, like you said, truth mm-hmm. They're taken to be uh, unquestionable. You know, and because it, it, of that, that has caused us, like you said, to walk away because it's like, if this is the only thing, like this is the only way and there's no real explanation for it, then why am I here? Especially if I don't fundamentally necessarily agree with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you said, if there's a relationship or um, yes, a religious tradition that you're, you're not allowed to ask questions at least, or be curious. Well, that's not, first of all, I mean, I don't even know where to start on that list, but I, I think maybe it would be, I don't think that's very authentic. I don't think it's very um, authoritative. If you can't question and get an answer, mm-hmm. there's something wrong, not with you, with, with that thing. With the context, yes. You're not wrong for asking questions. That curiosity is good. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, a show I really like. It's called Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a phrase from Ted Lasso where he says, don't be judgmental, be curious. Mm. And when you're, when you come up against uh, differing ideas, traditions, whatever, or if there's something incongruent in your tradition or your relationship that Mm. you're in, be curious. Don't just be judgmental, be curious. And it's okay to ask questions and you should. 
Yeah, you should. Look, you know me and you can talk all day, but yes, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and uh, and tie a bow on this thing. Michael Fry, um, I know you said it's anonymous, but I'm going to go ahead and shout it out. Reverse Tither. <laughs> Y'all check out his new podcast. It's going to be coming out. Um, so Reverse Tither, look it up. Mike, how can they follow you um, and connect with you? Sure. Um, I'm on Instagram as the Reverse Tither. Um, I'm on Twitter as the Reverse Tither. I have a podcast hosted on Podbean, so we're working on getting it on Apple and Spotify and hopefully anywhere else you can find podcasts. It'll be the number, I've already said it in episode one, we are the number one tithing podcast in the world. Come on now. I'm not even sure if that's real, but I don't know of another tithing podcast in the entire world. So you're number one. I'm number one. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you can find me on all those things. I'm trying to figure out how to... um, maybe get this thing as a visual on YouTube too. I want, I want everybody to find joy in giving Mm. and make as big of a difference as they can. It's not about 90 and 10%. And if you don't get to 90, you're not a reverse type. I want people to revolutionize the way they think and say, how in the world can I best change this world? And how much can I give? Mm. And I want you to take that number and increase it. Mm. I'm going to tell you something too, Mike. It just, this just hit me and I'm sure you're closer than you think you are. Oh boy. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Make it true. You are closer than you think you are. Good. I hope. (laughs) I hope. I'll tell you this. This can be encouraging for someone who's listening to this now. Yeah. I say this, like I'm going to give away 90% of my income and and keep 10. And, Mm. and I'm just going to go down this way if it don't, Right now, I don't have a car that works. Mm. In fact, I'm right here in the basement where my shower's leaking. Mm. We've got a fourth kid on the way. My wife doesn't work. Oh, man. And I could go, I'm not going to tell you all my problems. I could go on. There's more. There's more. That doesn't matter. Mm. All right. I'm on the process and I'm going to enjoy it. All right. Yes, I'm working this thing. Yes. Not, I, so I hope you're right that I'm close. <laughs> you are closer than you. I, you're closer. I, I'm gonna talk to you about that offline. But you're closer. All right. Than you are. You're Good. closer than you think you are, man. But look, y'all. This is the broke millennial podcast. You know we're broke. We're look. I'm broke now, but I ain't gonna be broke forever. Um, yeah. So y'all keep y'all keep on keeping on, and we'll see y'all next time. Okay, y'all, talk to me. Y'all all right? I love rich conversations, and that was rich. I thought about splitting it in two, but y'all know how to pause and come back to it later if you need to. Whatever your work or purpose is, remember, we need you, and you're closer than you think you are. And remember, I see you. I'm so proud of you. I'm rooting for you. You're right on schedule and you're doing just fine. Till next time, y'all take care.